since learning the truth about alcohol over four years ago, I've become pretty skeptical about anything that seems too good to be true. You know, like alcohol. If you're like me and you can spot a too good to be true health hack from a mile away, congrats, you're a skeptic too. Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds our standards. I take Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus every morning because it has high quality and traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. It's gentle on an empty stomach and has a minty essence in every bottle that helps make taking my multis actually enjoyable. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com forward slash sober mom. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash sober mom for 25% off. All right, you guys, I am currently struggling with a pinched nerve in my neck. And if you have ever had one, you know the pain. So I am feeling super thankful for today's sponsor, Tanasi. Tanasi's CBD, CBDA is two times better than CBD alone and better than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. It helps soothe and relieve my aches and pains, like my pinched nerve, and it's great for sleep and anxiety, so I put it on right before bed. Tanasi was discovered by a team of chemists and biologists at Middle Tennessee State University, and 5% of all revenue is given back to the university partner for ongoing research. It is THC-free and comes in a range of products. I love the topicals, but you can also choose from soft gels, gummies, and tinctures. Satisfaction is guaranteed. Try Tanasi for 30 days, and if you don't love it, you get a full refund. Go to Tanasi.com and use code MOM to get 25% off at checkout. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with promo code MOM. Hi, welcome to the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne of My Kind of Sweet and the Sober Mom Life on Instagram. If you are a mama who has questioned your relationship with alcohol at times, if you're wondering if maybe it's making motherhood harder, this is for you. I will be having candid, honest, funny conversations with other moms who have also thought, hmm, maybe motherhood is better without alcohol. Is it possible? We'll chat and we'll talk about all things sobriety and how we've found freedom in sobriety. I don't consider myself an alcoholic. You don't have to either. And maybe life is brighter without alcohol. I hope you will join us on this journey and I'm so excited to get started. Hello, welcome back. I think it's Monday. Chris, I don't know. Is it Monday? I, it, am I alone in this after the long 4th of July weekend slash week? I haven't known what day it is for probably the past, I don't know, six days. So hopefully it's Monday. I'm excited about this episode. Kim Kearns, who's the author of On the Edge of Shattered, is on today. She's also my friend. I was able to be on her podcast, The Weekend Sober Podcast, and she is just so lovely. She talks about her sobriety story. It's not a rock bottom story, which you know those are my favorite to hear and to share on here. I think those are the most important to tell, those stories that, you know, we don't lose it all. And and it's not clear to everyone on the outside that alcohol is tricking us and is just a big, huge trick. I know you will love her story. We also talk a lot about the social ramifications of being sober and sharing our sobriety. She talks about what happened to her social life after her book came out. I think it's a really interesting conversation. I know you will love her. Thank you for supporting this space and this podcast. Don't forget, if you love it, go review it. That helps us put all the stars up there. Also, let me know in the reviews if you're loving it and what you're finding helpful about it. Come and follow me on my kind of suite on Instagram to see the picture of a full sober life. Oh, and threads. Are we doing threads, guys? I'm over there. I'm on threads. I kind of like it. No photos, no grid, no feed just connecting with text. I like it. It feels like less pressure. I don't know. 
also a huge announcement. There is no more Patreon because we have created our own space. It is called the Sober Mom Life Cafe. It is linked in the show notes. You can get to it through mykindofsweet.com. Come and join us for $10 a month. You get weekly podcast bonus episodes. You get, I think we're up to four Zoom meetings a week. You get our monthly book club plus an additional conversation with the author. You get an exclusive chat with moms just like you who are reevaluating the relationship with alcohol, who are living full sober lives. That is through Discord. I'm just so excited about this. It's the only cafe where we don't sell coffee. You do have to bring your own, but I promise you, you will love the connection and the community over there. I will link it in the show notes, and it's all for $10 a month, which I'm willing to bet you spend more than that on coffee a month. So come and join us and enjoy this episode with Kim. Kim, thank you for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you. I have to tell you, your book, On the Edge of Shattered, comes up a lot in my Facebook group and just with the women that are in my community. They love it. I think your story is very relatable. Not necessarily one of rock bottom, right? Right, right. Thank you. Yeah, that makes me so happy. I love hearing that. It wasn't rock bottom. I didn't have a rock bottom. You're right. And I do think that is why a lot of people can relate to me and why I really wanted to tell my story because I portrayed the kind of on the outside, like I had everything together, but on the inside, no, I was, I was crumbling. Yeah. And I hit that point on the inside emotionally where I couldn't hold it together anymore. So, and I think a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah, I think so too. And there's a moment in your book when like a friend comes to you and is like, how did you know? Like, why did you wake up that day? Like, what was different that day that you just decided, like, you told your husband and you were like, I think I need help. Like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. But nothing like earth shattering had happened, right? It was no different really than any other day. And you said to your friend, like, I don't know. I just had the feeling. And that's kind of the same thing that happened for me. It was like, it's almost coming from something else and somewhere else. Like that's how it felt to me. Like it just like plopped down in my head, in my lap. And it was like, you're done. I was like, oh, I think I'm done. It's so hard to explain this. And I have tried so many times to tell people about that moment and about that morning and, and why that particular day, because And I was actually just telling my therapist this recently, you know, she said, had you had moments in your, within your brain or, you know, conversations with yourself where you had sort of admitted that alcohol was a problem. And I think I, I kind of did, but I never Googled, am I an alcoholic? I never did anything like that. You know, I never crossed that bridge. I, I was terrified to ever go there. And it was like, I had this tiny voice in my head for a very long time whispering to me almost like alcohol is not serving you. This is not working. And it was in particular on those mornings where I would wake up and not feel great. And, you know, it's, that's how my book starts. It's, or it's the second chapter really. It's, you know, waking up with that horrible hangover and I'm like, what is going on? I don't remember putting my kids to bed. Like, this is awful. Um, and I know you didn't, Suzanne, ever really have blackouts. I think you only had like two blackouts. Oh, no, I did. Well, I I had two blackouts as a mom, but I, I was like a blackout artist in my <laughs> 20s. Okay. You know, like I was like, oh, yeah. But yes, like as a mom, it was more like the whole moderation piece yes. and okay. all of that, which is hell on earth. But yes. Yeah, which is hell on earth. Yeah. So so I was blacking out a lot as a mom. So, you know, I that final day I woke up and I was like, I don't remember putting the kids to bed. And, and it was that voice had become, you know, and yes, like years of moderation, years of trying to convince myself, like, don't drink Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, and, and I'll, I can get more into all of that. But that morning it was like, that voice was, it was no longer a whisper. It was almost like it was just screaming and and it was like, you got to do something. And I, and, and it was this kind of 
courageous, brave moment where I just said, I gotta, I gotta latch onto this and I gotta do something. I'm gonna do, I'm just gonna do it. I took that step. And I think a lot of people relate to that who have gotten sober and say, yeah, that was my moment. And I just knew there was no turning back. Yes. First of all, the idea of the whispers, I think it's very interesting. Like the parallel, like you loved whispering angel, right? Is that what it was called? The rose? Right. And then the whisper, when the whispers inside and all of this turmoil that we have about our drinking and I had the same thing and it was, it would be turmoil, but the answer to me was never, well, remove alcohol, right? That just did not seem like the solution because I thought then that meant I would be in a battle with it forever because I would be in AA and forever powerless even when I'm not drinking it and all of that stuff. And so I just never thought that I could do that. And so it was just all of that turmoil of how do I drink better? How do I balance motherhood and alcohol better? And that day for me on the couch was like, oh, holy shit, I think this is a battle. I'm not going to win if alcohol is in the picture. And I didn't know that when I made the decision. And like you, just saying it out loud and like no more whispers, no more inner voices and just like say it out loud. And like tell, like I told my husband, you told your husband and you didn't have it figured out. Like no. you didn't know what that meant, right? No, I had no clue. And up until that moment, sobriety, not drinking, you know, completely quitting really had not crossed my mind. I believed that I would be a drinker for the rest of my life and I would make it work. I would fit it in somehow. And I always believed like hangovers would be a part of my life. I just was like, I'm going to figure out a way to manage how to live with a hangover. Yeah. That was how I saw it. And it's really strange to think that I was so focused on keeping alcohol in my life mm-hmm. and I couldn't let it go. I just didn't see it any other way. Yes. But it's it makes so much sense because we have not like, you know, I, I think now with like you have the Weekend Sober podcast, you on Instagram, like there are a lot of us women who decided to quit drinking before we hit rock bottom and we realized like, oh, holy shit, I could just get off this ride and I don't have to continue on the, a downward spiral. Like I could just step out of it. But that's just a new way to think about it. Like there just hasn't been that. And so we've just been taught like if you can't seamlessly fit alcohol into the cracks of motherhood and in your life and make the two work well together, then that's there's something wrong with you. Like that's what we've been taught. And that's like way too hard to look at because it's like, well, if I'm the problem, like, uh, yeah, I don't know where to go from there. (laughs) You know that you just said something that I hadn't thought about in a really long time. And when I stopped drinking, I started writing and blogging very, very early on pretty much the day I stopped drinking. And I equated it to being on a runaway train. Like I felt like I was out of control, just like on the speeding train and I could not stop it. I couldn't get off. And I really felt like I had just like flung myself off of this and I landed like splat on the ground. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, but thank God I got off that train because I was headed for something, you know? And I remember that was the best way to explain it to my husband um, because he, when I told him, he had no idea what I had been feeling and at the end, I was in a really bad place. You know, it was 20, November 2020 pandemic. And I had actually been hiding and sneaking and lying at the end of my drinking, which really, it, it escalated really quickly. And I, he had no idea I was doing that. So that's how I felt. This just like runaway train. Like, oh my God, I was just out of control. You know, I was just desperately trying to keep it all together. So I just got off it and I was like, all right, I don't know what I'm doing, but I guess I'm not drinking and this is what we're doing. And I've voiced it out loud and here we go. Yeah. And isn't it amazing that our partners, like our life partners, because my husband kind of has that same reaction when he's reading like my book proposal and when I talk about this like turmoil in my mind and like the shame and stuff. And he, and he's like, 
wait, you didn't have that. And I was like, yeah, I did. We just don't talk about it. Like even with our most intimate relationship, we aren't talking about the shame that drinking causes and the guilt and the self-loathing and the anxiety and just all of that, the spiraling thoughts. Like we just aren't talking about it. So then we think we're alone. We think that we're the only one who's struggling. And it's just like the more we start talking about it, the more you see like like right now you're nodding your head because you're like, yeah, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. That self-loathing, that terrible darkness mm. is really what I've, I felt early on and how it was at the end of my drinking. And that is what I felt so alone in. I felt that Nobody else understood that and nobody else felt that. I was like, am I one of the only people that is experiencing this right now? And and that's why I felt so strongly about writing about it and sharing my story. And thank God I found all of you because look at us. Like we are I know so similar. There's so many of us. So many. It's been so incredible to know that I'm not alone. And, you know, I was really grateful to join the Luckiest Club and Silver Bomb Squad early on and and then see that. And and that is really propelled me forward. Um, Listening to those meetings, I actually always joke because I was was so scared and so, so worried about what people thought of me early on. Well, I love that you kept, you were like in your closet and you're like, let me just make sure the camera's off. Like you kept making sure like, okay, is my camera off? Okay, good. Because like, it's so, it's so scary right away. Like your heart beating. Yeah. Yes. I I was like, I never showed my face. I never spoke, but like I listened to everybody's stories. And eventually I found the strength and confidence to put myself out there. And, and now I'm doing that. And, and it is funny how, yeah, one of my biggest struggles and reasons why I drank, I mean, there are so many reasons why I drank, obviously, and that's a lot of what my book is about. But at the end, in the last several years, it was just like that concern, that thing that kept me on the hamster wheel, the cycle was the concern of what others thought of me. You know, I think that's a big one. I think for a lot of people, it's like, oh, I can't stop drinking because, you know, what would people think of me? What would my friends yeah. think? How would I be accepted? And and that I think is was one of the last pieces of it that that held me in that trap of alcohol. Well, and I think that that gets to that deeper root of why we many of us start drinking in the first place. And it is feeling like maybe we aren't okay. Like maybe who I am, maybe it's not okay. And maybe I'm not good enough. Or maybe I'm maybe there's something just inherently unlovable or wrong with me. Right. And that's a really fucking hard thing to feel. And even if it's not true, you know, we talk about all the time like feelings are not facts. But sometimes they fucking feel true. And so that's a really hard thing to even like start to unpack. And then it goes back to childhood and what we experienced and the trauma and all of that. I like how your book goes, you kind of like flip-flop between your growing up year by year and then your day one and then two and then three. And so you do go back and forth, which shows pretty seamlessly like how our childhood is so related to our drinking. Yeah. I mean, I definitely started drinking to fit in and to be accepted yeah. I started at a young age, like 14. And I have very vivid memories, which I <laughs> recount in my book about those first drinks. And God, I wanted so badly to be a part of something, you know, when I was that yeah. age and, and still as an adult, you know, going to parties, you want to fit in, you know, you move to a new community, you have a new baby and you're like, I don't know how to talk to these new moms. Oh, I'm just going to have a drink. This will help yes. me. In. This will help me feel looser and more a part of this. You know, it's these patterns repeat themselves and we find alcohol is that one gateway to, you know, Oh yes. Especially in that new mom phase. Like I remember being a new mom and suddenly I was again, 13, 14, trying to find my people. And like, I hadn't been that in a long time. And suddenly I'm like, 
out of my depth. I I I have to make friends again, like all, new friends. Like you guys, I don't know if you know this, but making new friends is horrible. Awful. <laughs> it's oh, it's awful. And so yeah, like you're all of a sudden trying to do that, and so of course then you turn to alcohol to maybe make it easier that social lubrication even though that sounds really gross but that's what it is <laughs> the social lube <laughs> social just put on that social lube oh my god no it's so true and when i would go to those new moms groups and the people that didn't serve the wine i was like oh i'm not going back there you know <laughs> right. hanging out with her she doesn't serve wine yeah. You're like, I don't want to, I don't want to actually like feel uncomfortable and be in my body and with my thoughts. Like who, that does sound terrifying, right? I have social anxiety. It's like the idea of going to, I mean, anyone's house and I don't know. I mean, I spiral and you guys, I still spiral and it's okay. Like I still, it's like a muscle, like you have to relax. And sometimes I text beforehand and I say, am I expected to keep my shoes on or off during this party? Because I need to know these things (laughs) and just tell me. And then I will feel a lot more comfortable coming into your house. <laughs> oh my gosh, that actually reminds me. I I had to give a book talk. Um, and this person's probably listening at yoga studio, and I wore really bright, ugly socks and boots, and I didn't think that I'd have to take my boots <gasps> off in the yoga studio. And of course, I got there and I had to take my oh boots my off. Oh my god! And it was really embarrassing. <laughs> and then you're like, oh yes, right. Like let's just all normalize feeling awkward, feeling like you're socially inept or just uncomfortable, and having questions like, do you expect? Like I, I need to know if my socks need to be pretty. Like okay, just let me know so I have a heads up, and that really helps my anxiety. <laughs> and you don't have to pregame in order to go do that and just put the awkwardness out there and be yourself. It has. It's so much more freeing and so much more relaxing. Yeah, it's so true. Like, you know, I always talk about sobriety as freedom. And I have felt, and this might be because I'm turning 43 soon, and like something does happen in your 40s, right? Are you 40, right? I just turned 40 this past year, yeah. Oh, and so something does happen where you're just – freer, I think, to be yourself. And I mean, there's just nothing more freer than being 100% okay with being awkward and just putting stuff out there. And I'm like that. I'm like, yeah, I'll I'll say, I don't know. I'm just not, I guess I'm not terrified of making a fool of myself. And because I would for sure make a fool of myself if I had a bottle of wine. <laughs> totally. And and then the shame and then all that comes with it. And so it's like, well, no, I'll just like say the awkward thing without the shame. Like take the alcohol away, take the shame away. I used to do the same thing. I would go replay conversations in my head and be like, oh my God, that was so awkward. I was so embarrassed. I can't believe I said that. La, 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 la. And now I, I don't do that anymore. I am so much more confident. You know, it's that sober confidence. I don't give a shit. This goes back to like, I don't care what people think of me. There is that freedom. I do, as cliche as this is, I have the word free now tattooed on my wrist because that is exactly how I feel because I felt so stuck, so trapped in alcohol. And I have it on my drinking hands, like right here. So every time I drink anything, I feel the freedom of not being trapped in a bottle. But I have a friend who's who still drinks, not really a friend anymore. But I, you know, I know she goes home by eight o'clock because she know she cannot be out in a social environment because of her social anxiety, mm. but also because she gets pretty drunk and she's really nervous about how she's going to behave in situations. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that fear of what's going to happen is just gone. That is freeing. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's so free. Like I always talk about, I always had, I was afraid of summers. And I mean, in my adult life, summer felt like, oh God, there's going to be a lot of drinking. And then when there's alcohol involved, you just can't count on yourself. 
because you just don't know. It's like flipping a coin. And you can't count on yourself because alcohol is in the picture because you can't count on alcohol, right? It's very unpredictable. You just don't know what's going to happen. It doesn't matter if you drink two glasses of wine or even more, but even at two glasses of wine, you don't know because you're still, alcohol still in your system. And so summers were just scary. And then I remember my first sober summer. It was the idea of like, oh my God, looking forward, I wasn't scared because I, I knew like we had a lot of social stuff. You know, we go to a country club, so there's a lot of that. And I was like, oh, holy shit. I'm not scared. I'm actually excited. And it felt like that childlike excitement for summer. Yes, I can completely relate to that country club scene. There's a lot of drinking there and that, uh, you know, drinking past sunset with the kids in the pool and that kind of stuff, you know, not necessarily at the club, but, you know, at people's houses and things like that, barbecues where the kids are there. And that's a big thing in the summertime. And that is terrifying, especially as my kids have gotten older, they're more aware It is really a good feeling now knowing that uh, I can drive anywhere. I can be in any kind of situation with or without my children and know that, yeah, I'm safe. Yes. Well, that reminds me in the book of when your your littlest came to get you in the middle of the night, right? Because she had a bad dream. Yeah. Tell us about that. It was a really incredible moment because it was the first time that I had put her back to bed and I wasn't, you know, drunk in the night and I was able to get up easily, go put her back to bed. And I was really emotional. And she was, you know, she was like, what's wrong? And and it it just kind of hit me that like, I know that my kids had tried to wake me up in the past and couldn't, and they would often go to their dad. And actually, I don't think I wrote about this in the book, but way later, my son had said to me, I I think probably like a year ago, he said, are we allowed to come to you in the night now? And I said, yeah, you can always come and get me whenever. He's like, well, because you used to yell at us and tell us to go away in the night. I'm like, oh my God. And he's like, I'm like, you can always come and wake me up. He's like, well, you never woke up. So, (laughs) you know, it's, it's those little things. It's, he had a sleepover the other night and one of them came and woke me up at three o'clock in the morning to say he wanted to go home. Really? Oh my God. That would be me when I was little, that I was like, totally no, great, great idea. Sleepover. Amazing. And then at midnight, I'd be like, this is awful. And it's the worst thing. And I need to go home immediately. I'm sure parents (laughs) loved me. I didn't like them either, but my kids are pretty good about it. But this little boy, this cute little kid, I hear a little, you know, knock on the door and I open it. This little guy's like, um, can I go home? <laughs> I was like, oh my God, of course. Yes. So I called the mom. That's another great example of like, anytime my kids have a play date, I'm like way more concerned about their friend's safety than my kids. Like if my kid gets hurt and I'm like, no, you're fine. And if like the other kid trips, I'm like, oh my God, are you okay? <laughs> like not on my watch. You know what I mean? Like your yeah. health and safety comes first right now. Yeah. And so like when you have sleepovers, do you think about like other kids are in your care and like that's bananas to be drinking. Like that's crazy. You have other people sleeping under your roof. Like you have other people's babies. That's terrifying. Actually, that's like very, (laughs) this is where my mind goes. I'm like, oh my God, that's like a lawsuit. Like if you're like, you know what I mean? Or like pool parties. Oh my God. Oh my God. All of that stuff. Like I'm like, I need all of my senses on. Like I need to be very aware of what's going on with my kids, but especially with other people's kids. I know. And to think that I used to be so drunk and I was hosting parties yeah. and the, yes. all these kids running around my house and my yard and, and oh my God. Yeah. It's like not uncommon. I mean, that's why that's what happens. And like kids <sighs> in water, like kids in the pool and adults drinking like that is terrifying. Once you step, this is the kind of thing where it feels like a cult <laughs> because once you step out of it, you start thinking, holy shit, like look at what everyone is doing and look at what we used to do. And once those blinders are off, it's pretty astounding and scary. (laughs) Oh my God. It is scary. And I can only just 
say I'm grateful that I got out of it, that cult. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, I'm really open with my kids about my journey and what I have experienced. They know mom's sober. They, <laughs> they talk about it to their friends and because I'm proud. I'm really proud of it. And I know eventually, very sooner rather than later, they're going to be dealing with that. And because I started drinking at a young age and, you know, I have my oldest is going into seventh grade and I remember going to parties in eighth grade where there was alcohol. So, oh. uh, you know, it, that's all we can do is, is just be open with our kids because, you know, my parents did not talk to me about much. And that was where, and you know, what I write about in my book is the secrets and hiding and the, the shame around everything. And and I don't want there to be shame around the things that I've experienced, you know, cause I'm, I've come a long way. So. Yeah. And the thing, like when we don't talk to our children about stuff that they're experiencing and feeling and like things that are going on, either other people will or they will just fill in the blanks themselves. And generally, I feel like that blank is filled in with something that sounds like, oh, something's wrong with me because like in your book, like something's wrong with me because I want to experiment sexually, like figure out what's going on, what sex is, right? And so when that's just like shut down and it's like, no, that makes me uncomfortable. So I'm not going to talk about that. And I'm going to shame you instead. Like that shame is like mold in the basement. Yes. And it lingers. Yes. And that shame like lingers until you talk about it and until you're in rooms like the luckiest club, right? And like mm-hmm. hearing stories like yours, sharing your stories. And you're, it's not met with like, oh, what? How could you do that? It's met with like, oh yeah, me too. Like I've been there. That compassion, understanding. Yeah. I mean, and it took years for me to realize the things that I experienced throughout my life were not my fault. And the things that happened to me, the traumas, the assault in college that I write about, which is, I know, very triggering for some. I say that, like, I had my reasons to stop drinking. I knew my whys, you know, I knew my reasons. I had no idea that after a couple months of therapy in the early sobriety, I had no idea that like, oh, I have to now talk about why I drank. Like, what were my reasons for drinking? Oh, that's a whole other layer, you know, like totally uncovering all that trauma and working through all of that was a lot. And I'm still working on it. I mean, that's going to be a lifetime of, of work that will never stop. I'm grateful for the fact that I now am aware that of the fact that I need to be doing those things, doing that work and that I have uncovered these things and showing myself this self-compassion and and moving forward from it all because it was causing me to hide and numb in an escape for way too long. So it's, and I think that people aren't even aware of the fact that they are doing that. Totally. It's so true. You're not even aware of what you're numbing, what you're escaping until you take that off. And like you said, uncover it because it really is. I always think of that like, I don't know, just like that childhood stuff, the shame, the trauma as mold in the basement. And like, sure, you could shut the basement door, you can like lock it and you could cover it up with all with like jobs and family and tasks and and perfectionism and and like succeeding at stuff and like striving and all of the stuff that we're just like, you know, go, 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 go. And then it can still build. But that mold in the basement seeps through and it just grows and it, it soon will be infested. That is such an incredible analogy. And that's exactly what happened to me. I was infested with yeah. mold. I really was. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, yes. And that's not a weakness in us that our past and our unresolved trauma is that. And it's not until we start, like like you said, you uncover it and you're like, okay, I'm going to stop ignoring this mold problem. Yeah. Because what we know about mold is it doesn't go away. No. Until you bring in the mold remediation people. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Until you're like, okay, well, let's look at what we're dealing with here. And like, yes, that can be scary. And it could be like, well, I just want to pretend it's not there. But then that's just all that is, is pretend. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I know because we had mold in our, uh, our hallway behind our laundry room yeah. for a long time. And it was disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right. I know. Like you're like, you gotta <laughs> deal with that shit before it takes over. <laughs> and so when did you like, how soon after, okay. So you decided you're like, yes, I'm done. How soon after that did you go into therapy and, and say like, okay, let's figure out the why I was drinking. So I started talking to Ronnie right away because I knew mm-hmm. I knew I needed to talk to somebody. Um, and my husband wasn't going to cut it because he was like, totally, you know, he was a little scared of me because it was like really emotional. <laughs> also, husbands are like, they're not objective. And so we need someone who is just tabula rasa, totally blank slate, has no, n- no motive, no anything. Like even my mom's a therapist. She cannot therapize me. I mean, she can give me tips and stuff, but she's not my therapist, right? We need like somebody who has no ties. No ties. Yeah. I needed somebody to come in and like see me as like a blank slate. So I met this woman and I had one session. It was all, you know, telehealth. And she right away started asking me about my family history, my past, my parents, my marriage and this and that. And after one hour of talking, she said, I wanted to just talk to her about my sobriety and all this. But she wanted to know about my past. And I was like, why are we talking about my family? I want to just talk to you about like, you know, I didn't drink today. Like, oh, yeah. And she was like, mm, I don't want to know about that. So after, an, you know, one session, she was like, I sense a lot of anger. And I was like, what? I'm not angry. I'm, I'm not drinking. I'm doing great, you know. But She was like, you have a lot of emotions that you need to work through. So this was, you know, a week into sobriety. And I knew at that point, like this woman was going to help me. I knew that there was some work to do, but it wasn't for, you know, a few months that we really started to dive into the hard stuff. You know, we were slowly getting there, but I had to really take my time cracking open the past traumas and we started with my childhood and my family and my parents and um, my parents' divorce and things like that, you know, and that's when I started writing and how my memoir took shape because I really had so many emotions that just poured out of me. And, you know, I was a creative writing minor in college and and I always loved to write, but I hadn't done any writing in years and years. Um, I was an English teacher and stopped teaching when my kids were born, but I just it was as if the floodgates opened when I stopped drinking. It was like, I had so much to say. And so the words poured out of me. And then with the help of all this therapy, it was just everything just poured out. You can tell. I mean, the book is beautiful. Thank you. And you're a beautiful writer. I think that, isn't that funny? Like people like Jack Kerouac and Hemingway and David Foster Wallace and all of these like people, it's like, you think that alcohol is the key to to unlock creativity and like that that will get, you know, like you need an edge and you need to, that alcohol is like going to help you be creative. And it's just completely the opposite. Yeah. It was the same for me. It's just like the space in your mind that alcohol is no longer taking up. And like, you're like, oh, wait, I can actually like formulate thoughts and write them down and and start to be creative again. And you have more time and all of that. It's like, yeah, a good byproduct of sobriety for sure. Huge, huge. The creative energy that comes out of sobriety. and, And I know so many people say the same thing. It's such a gift. Totally. It's such a gift. I like when you said anger, I was thinking about you being in your closet and like throwing I, I loved that. Like I, I felt it. You you like open your drawer and you're like throwing all of your like perfectly folded clothes. Talk about uncovering. Yeah. Right? That was like a literal like, oh, like fuck perfection and like let's look. And I loved that. I felt that so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Fuck perfection, right? Like. Yes. No, I just love it. I love that like, again, that freedom, the opposite of constraint right? Is just like tearing through that. I don't know. And then I was like, oh, that would feel so good to do. Like just to go in my drawers and just throw everything, like throw all the, you know, when you just want to do that. Yes. Like I want to do that right now. (laughs) I'll be right back. I (laughs) I know. I want to do that sometimes like with my kids stuff. Totally. And I just totally like, that's why my three-year-old's tantrums, 
I just don't get so personally tied to them. And I'm not like, it's not something that I need to fix. Cause like when he's like just thrashing and like, and I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, how good would that feel? <laughs> like, yeah, do it. Feel it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I'm like, I know. I'm like, I'm so jealous right now. I want to do that. Okay, I also wanted to tell you that you naming the the wine witch Ursula, I loved. I just thought we also just saw the Little Mermaid, the new one. Did you see I it? I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard it's good. I want to go see it. I loved it, and Melissa McCarthy as as Ursula, perfect, like so good. So then that's who I was thinking of with your wine <laughs> witch. I was like, Melissa McCarthy is the wine witch. <laughs> totally. But I love that. I did the same thing like when I was struggling postpartum anxiety and OCD and, you know, all of these like intrusive thoughts and I needed meds and this was not enough. But it's a good tip for when you have something like the craving, the wine witch, intrusive thoughts to really like personalize, like make it something so that it's not Mm -hmm. you because it's not you. A lot of times we think that our thoughts are us. And like they know something we don't and that they are God. And it's like, no, no, no. You can completely separate yourself from that. Look at that from the outside and say, oh, I see what you're trying to do here, you little nasty bitch. (laughs) Yeah. It was such a a loud voice, that wine witch beginning. And I don't even hear it anymore at two and a half years sober. Yes. Wow. It was so intense. And I I never thought there would be a day where I could say I didn't hear it because I thought that would be a part of my life forever, that I would always be listening to that little voice. But when I was, you know, drinking, that was a part of my day. You know, I would hear, I would hear Ursula at like 11 a.m., you know, know, thinking, Mm -hmm. oh, how much whispering angels in the house for tonight? You know, we got to stock up. When did it change? Or did you just one day notice like, Oh, wait, holy shit. I don't think that voice is in there anymore. I think I killed Ursula. You you like drove that boat <laughs> into her stomach. You pierced <laughs> her giant stomach. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking killed her. Um, <laughs> you I, did. I don't know when I stopped hearing it, but once summertime rolled around, it was definitely hard. Like there were moments where the nostalgia would kick in and it wasn't necessarily like, Ooh, let's go buy some wine, but it would be like, Oh, that would be fun to partake in that. You know, I'd see my friends at the pool drinking, and, and I would feel a little left out, but it was never like, Oh, you should go have one. Like I know. And I actually, I remember some friends saying, Oh, we didn't want to sit near you at the pool because we didn't want to be the ones to make you relapse. I was like, Oh, Oh my God. I'm relapsing, but okay. Thanks guys. I know you're like, so instead just like isolate me. Thanks. (laughs) I mean, I guess they were, they they had good intentions. Personally, I think it was more that they were a little ashamed of their behavior. I think that's a good point is that a lot of times we, the sober ones, are a reminder to our friends that they are not and kind of a reminder to our friends about how much they're drinking. And as we know, like that can be a really uncomfortable thing to feel if you're not ready to look at it or to talk about it. It's like you don't want to look at it. Or talk about it. That can be tough. Yeah, that actually and has been the hardest, probably one of the hardest parts of sobriety is that change in, you know, the dynamic of certain friendships. And and I think that probably because a lot of those types of people, it, you know, it holds a mirror up to their relationship with alcohol. So it's it's tough. But I just have to keep moving forward. And yeah, how have you dealt with that? Like, well, you had a sober, a friend who had been sober before, right? And then you connected with her once you stopped. And then you also had a friend come to you and say, I think I want to look at my drinking, which is pretty powerful. Did your sober community grow in your hometown, like in real life, or was it more online? Yeah. So I had a close group of friends that I drank a lot with who I no longer really hang out with or talk to anymore. They all still drank and, you know, we just kind of parted ways. How did that happen? I'm, I'm so interested. Was it just like a dissolving? It, you know, it was really hard. It didn't really dissolve. It was pretty, <laughs> it was a pretty abrupt ending um, that happened when my book came out. They just felt, um, this is a large group of friends that just stopped talking to me because Ugh. of um, the 
publicity of the book, the way I told my story. And I think that it's hard for for people in a small town to have somebody like me putting, you know, this out there. People didn't feel comfortable with the way I was going about it. Okay. I totally feel this because I just had a conversation with a friend last week and it kind of came out about how people look at me, not people, a a group of people in my small town. Like it's just, uh, I don't know. And, And then when you're, when you're public about something, like, I think it's safe to say like those friends probably didn't read your book, right? So I think they read it and they felt, because I talk about my group of friends in Needham and I think they honed in on the very small part about the progression of my alcohol use in the town of Needham and they felt like um, maybe I was pointing fingers or blaming. I'm not really sure because they won't talk to me and they never told me. They just stopped talking to me. Oh my God. Um, I just can't imagine reading because you're so vulnerable and open in it. And it's such a deep dive into your childhood and your struggles and traumas. And it's like, I I, I don't, yeah, I just don't understand. And and I guess that's then okay, right? Like I can't understand someone reading the book and just being defensive when someone's being so vulnerable. And that has to be hard for you because then it's like, I think that's the worst when they're when it's like a ghosted situation and then they're just done talking. There's a lot of questions then that like I start to fill in the blanks of like I don't know. Right. It's just, it just feels really unsafe. Yeah, and you know when my kids see these adults and they say, "Why aren't they talking to you anymore, mom?" and it's, you know, you have to talk to your kids about adult bullying and and how it doesn't when you're a mom and yeah. So it has been a huge learning curve for me ma- navigating this whole thing. And, but ultimately, um, like I said, I think that it holds a mirror up to them in their drinking. Yeah. And I have learned that I'm not responsible for the response of others. Like, I, I'm not responsible right. for the way things land just because I'm telling my story. And this story, this book, my book is not about, you know, my drinking in Needham. It's it's about my entire life story and what led to it. my choices to drink and, and what caused me to drink. And, and I, in no way, shape or form, am I blaming anybody? You know, I talk a lot about my family and college and I'm not blaming anybody in my family. I'm not blaming anybody from college. I'm not blaming anybody in particular. I am accepting all of it because I made the choice to drink. But that's also the difference my mom and I talk about between explaining and excusing, right? And and you're explaining. Like you're yeah. explaining what led to you choosing alcohol and then choosing to stop. Your whole life story is a part of the explanation. Excusing is a different thing. Excusing is if like you decided not to stop drinking and said, yeah, but look at that. That's why I drink. So there you go. Keep it moving. Like that's the opposite of what your book is. I was just looking for this thing that it said something. Oh, here it is. 40 things I wish I'd known at 40. It's a library mindset. It's that people, number seven, that people putting you down is a sign of your increasing success. And that's kind of true. Yeah. And, and that feels icky to say because as women, we're not we're taught like, don't be too loud and don't be too proud and don't be too big and how dare you be successful. But like, yeah, like you had a book that did really well that's beautifully written and like that can be hard for some people, you know? Yeah. I think that it is worth telling my story and helping others. And that's ultimately, I mean, I always said it's cheesy, but I am really, it's important for me to put myself out there. And for these, this handful of, you know, 10 people that don't want to speak to me because I'm willing to do this and put it out there. I have gained so much by doing this. And I have met so many people in this community that have stopped drinking. I actually recently started a sobriety group in the Metro West Boston area called Sober in the Suburbs because I was going on, I could only go on like coffee dates and walks a week. And I was like, I got to start bringing these people together. Similar, like you have an amazing online community. You know, I feel like 
on day one, I Googled sober in the suburbs of Boston and there was nothing. There's nothing. So I was like, this has been my mission since the beginning to like do something for the Boston area. And so we're, you know, slowly getting off the ground, meeting up small, like kind of like a social club, just a way for all these sober women to like hang out and do something. And, you know, we're doing like a book club and just like hangouts and I'm starting like a sober curious speaker series. And yeah, so I feel like there is a movement, there is a need for it. And there are a lot of sober women that are, that I'm starting to meet. Yes. And the connections that we make in sobriety are tenfold those that you make when you're drinking, right? Mm -hmm. Like if a friendship is based around alcohol, your mind will be blown how connected you will feel to people in sobriety. And that's just like the best. The level of connection is just so much better, so much deeper. So much better. Kim, thank you so much. I'm just I'm just so grateful for you and your book and your voice in this space because it's needed. Yes. And cheers to being free. Free. Yes. Free. Cheers free. to being free. Thank and you. And tell everybody where we can find you too. My website is KimberlyKearns.com. I'm on Instagram at a sober and strong mom. Also KB Kearns. I have two Instagrams. I gotta merge them at some point. My book is called On the Edge of Shattered, and you can get it on Amazon. So I also have the Weekend Sober podcast. And I, oh, so I also wrote um, season two of Fucking Sober, The First 90 Days. And that's basically my story. I'm Betsy. And that was, it's like a narrative, um, semi-non-fictional podcast. Katie Mack produced it, and I'm season two. Oh, how cool is that? Okay, we're going to link all of that stuff in the show notes. So you guys go follow Kim, go check out her book. We're also going to do for the Sober Mom Life Book Club, we're doing your book. (gasps) Yay! I'll let you know the month. And then if you want to come talk to us, we always like talk about the book and then we talk with the author a couple weeks later. So we'll set that up. I will totally come do that. I would love it. Thank you. Yay! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you, Kim. Awesome. This has been great. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Sober Mom Life. If you loved it, please rate and review it wherever you listen. Five stars is amazing. Also, follow me on Instagram at The Sober Mom Life. Okay, I'll see you next week. I'm going to go reheat my coffee. Bye. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.